Hallelujah. God, we thank you. You are so faithful. God, and even as we sang of your goodness this morning, we just say rain on us today. God, only you know what we really need. You know what we really need. God, we have not come just to gather for gathering's sake, but we've come to hear a word from you. And we say that our hearts are open, our minds are open. We are ready to receive from you. Cut as you need, trim as you need. Do a work in us, God. We pray the transformative power of God be in this place. And even as your word says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are sick hearts today, God. There are hung down heads today, God. But we realign our hope today. We realign our hope today. And we say our hope is our hope is in you, O oh God. Lift up our heads. We lift you up as you lift up our heads and restore hope in your people once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 He is a good, good God. Hallelujah. Today is an exciting day in the life of all nations. We are preparing for what God has for us. And so today we put in installment three of the return. God is calling um, his prodigals, not just the prodigals that are outside of the house, but the prodigals that are inside the house. And so we appreciate what he's doing and what he's building. Um, thank you guys so much. Now, how many of y'all, been, you've been following all the episodes? Okay, now, if you don't follow all the episodes, you get a little confused as to what's going on, but you can catch up, um, catch up on those. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 15. And it reads, Then he went and joined himself. Uh, to a citizen of that country, that faraway country we were talking about. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his own stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want to preach a message this morning entitled, This Little Piggy. Now, if, uh, you know, I, I like, I love my grandma and, um, 
you know, my grandma used to sing all the nursery rhymes, and I don't, I don't know where she got this well of all this stuff. I mean, she just remembered everything. Um, but this little ditty, some of you all probably know, right? And how's it go? This little piggy went to the market, and this little piggy did what? Stayed home. And this little piggy had, and this little piggy had, and then this little piggy, wee, 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 all the way home. Some of us, we are that piggy in the market. Some of us, we're that piggy that's still feeding on roast beef. Some of us, we are that piggy that is finally ready to go home. When we look at the prodigal, um, in verse 15, it says that he joined himself, his pride it still hadn't been humbled because he took matters into his own hands and he joined himself to this situation. And he got hired on to do a job where he was putting in more work and still receiving only a fraction of what he had originally been out with. The market life reminds me of the prodigal and what he tried to lay hold of. When you go to the market, there are choices. When you are at home, you eat what mama bought. In the market, there may be several brands of the same thing, but it is your choice. For many of us, we have made our Christianity into a market experience where we want to pick and choose the brand and the version of it that we would like to participate and partake of. We like to live in the market. But the truth is that the reason why you're, when you're at home, you have to eat what the mother bought is because they have purchased what they think is best for you. And even though you may not have all the choices of the market, you have exactly what you need. Ecclesiastes 9 and 3, it reads, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all, and truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. When we read that is joined, other versions, um, they refer to this as not just that is joined, but those who are chosen. We break down Ecclesiastes 9 and 3. It talks about that one who is joined to all the living. There is hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. We want the high placement of the chosen without the discipline of the chosen. When they refer to the living dog, um, the scripture calls the dog one of the lowliest animals. And what it's saying here is that even though a dog may seem lowly, but the lion is presented in the scripture, not y'all that like love y'all dogs. I'm talking about the way that the Bible presents the dogs. Okay, because y'all like, oh no, the dog is not lowly. I'm talking about the way that the Bible 
refers to the dog, not your frou-frou with the little sweater and the leech and well taken leash and well taken care of. But the lion is seen as noble, while the dog is a metaphor for the vilest of persons. Better is the hope of salvation. The noblest who die unconverted have no hope. We've lived noble lives, but we're in the market. We're in the marketplace. We have choices. We have a presentation of life that is desired and even coveted sometimes by the people who are around us because we are desiring the same thing that the prodigal desired, this life that is fulfilling to the flesh, this life that appears to be something that is wanted by many. But even the noblest, if you refuse to be converted, if you refuse to be broken down where your pride is stripped away and you only find pride in the conversion of Christ, in the conversion of who he is and what he's done, then you in your lavish ways, you in your lavish choices, you in your decisions that you're making in and of itself live with no hope. There are those out there who may be vile, they may be low on resources, they may be confused, they may be searching, but as long as they allow God to convert their heart, they still have hope. They still have life. We felt like we haven't had life because we feel that we're in the position of the dog. And so we've desired to be the lion. I love the story of the prodigal because it continues to go on and he said, it says that at some point he came to himself. There is an epiphany of the pen. And for many of us, if we are in a situation, it's sometimes hard to realize our surroundings and where we actually are. Because we feel like we're one place, but we can come to ourselves. At one point in this story, we heard him request of his father that he be endowed with his inheritance now. Why? Because he wanted to be any place other than home. And now that he's that other place outside of home, he wouldn't want to be any other place but home. Nothing changed. Home didn't change. The rules at home didn't change. The discipline of being in his father's house did not change. The expectations did not change. But once you are outside of it, you can have an epiphany of what you really had. And so you must come to yourself. Absolutely nothing was new. Everything the same, but yet everything that he ran for was the thing that he desired the most. For this man moving to a far away country with his inheritance, with his promised pleasure, with everything that he desired that wasn't allowed at home. We sometimes run from the parameters that are set for us. 
and we desire to live in purpose. We desire to have more. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to this. And that's really where he was. But when he realized that the doors had opened wide, that's when the walls begin to close in on him, even in the doors swinging wide open. After a while, what he desired, his promise turned into a nightmare of misery, unfulfillment, lack, like he had never seen before. And so now his freedom caused him to fall. His freedom was more than what he asked for. There's a saying that says that sin will take you further than you want to go. And then it continues to say that sin will also keep you there longer than you want to stay. And lastly, sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And this is where he found himself. We can't see the cost of it when we are desiring it. But when we get in the middle of it, we all of a sudden have this epiphany that even though we've made our bed here, this is not where we want to be. Because even though I made this bed and now I'm lying in this bed, this is everything that I never wanted. And so we realize that this idea that if it feels good, it must be right is a lie. If it feels good, it could be right, it could be wrong. This is why our relationship is not built on feelings. Because your feelings are shifty. Because your feelings are connected to your flesh and your emotions and your soul. And so before you realize it, your funds are depleted. Before you realize it, your hope is depleted. Before you realize it, you understand really what the good father had set up for you a good father will let you choose the problem is that we choose and then blame it on the father God, how did you let me get in this situation? God, how did you let me go without? God, how could you let this happen to me? Because he's a good father. And because he's a good father, he allowed you to choose your demise. And in the same way you choose your come up, you can choose your demise. It is better to do it his way. Many of us, we found ourselves in that place of desperation. Think of how desperate he was. He probably never even worked before a day in his life. And not only did he now have to work for what he was already laid hold of. Imagine working your first job, your first situation for less than what you were born with. And so now the sweat of your brow produces what you used to have by just existing. 
But when you make a decision that you want to exist outside of him, you will work harder. You will always work harder for the thing that you want to lay hold of that he does not have for you. Some of us, we're turning our wheels and we're toiling and we're tired and we're working harder than we should. But it's because we've stepped outside of promise. We've stepped outside of placement and made a decision to go work. And he didn't get just any job. But he got a job feeding the pigs. The scripture says that he got so hungry that he would have been willing to fill himself with the food of the pigs. For the Jews, the pigs were considered unclean animals. The funny thing about it, though, is that culturally they were unclean. Naturally, scientifically, pigs themselves are not necessarily an unclean animal. The reason why we have all of these cartoons, pictures, storybooks of pigs in mud is because the pigs get in the mud to cool off. They're not naturally just dirty. It's what they do in response to the situation that they've been put in. And so when pigs are cared for and when pigs are in the environment that is cool, that is shaded, they actually never have a reason to ever get in the mud. Why? Because they're in a protected space. But when the heat gets too hot, when they go too far out of bounds, when they go outside of the parameters that are the situation that's ideal for them to live in, they find themselves jumping, rolling, and enjoying the mud because they think the mud is their only solution. And so now they're covered head to toe in something they never had to be in because they weren't born for the mud. But because of the temperature and the environment, they find the mud being their only solution. Verse 17, where it says he came to himself. Now before it had said that he was joining himself. And then in the beginning, he is filling himself. And then towards the end, he has this epiphany in what he is presently in all of this led him to his senses some people say if it walks like a duck quacks like a duck it must be a duck we're walking like ducks we're quacking like ducks but we still haven't come to ourselves we are in denial of the place that we are in we are delusional thinking that we are living God's way and God's will and when we are completely outside of it. And lest you not find yourself in this story, I'm not talking about your entire life. I'm talking about pieces of your life are walking like ducks, quacking like ducks. Your friends see them as ducks. Everything about it screams duck, but you're delusional. And you've decided, oh no, that's not a duck. That's what God has for me. Even though everything else about it is contrary to his word. He was 
changed in this moment. God wants to open our eyes to really see the situation we're in. He wants to open our eyes to the relationships that are around us. He wants to open our eyes to our personal practices that are outside of him. He wants to open our eyes to our lack of discipline. He wants to open our eyes to the times when we say no, to the times when we are rebellious. He wants to open our eyes. We are living outside of his will. But because we've been in his will before, or because we've submitted certain parts of our life, then we think that we are living in his perfect will, rolling around in the mud and enjoying something that is not our portion, but you look up and you are covered, knee deep in something that never was for you. Knee deep in sin, knee deep in soul ties, knee deep in financial stress and strain, knee deep in a marriage that he never called you to, knee deep in commitments that call us outside of actually doing what he did call us to, knee deep in our pride, knee deep in our selfish will, knee deep in what we know, what we think we know to be right. We always say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's time for the pig in our life to say so. It's been saying oink, oink, but we've disguised it as something else. This represents being at your absolute lowest. After you have this epiphany, sometimes we think that's enough to have the epiphany. But it's not enough just to come to yourself. You have to actually now respond to coming to yourself. He could not just have the epiphany that he was in the pen. That wasn't the solution. He now had to lay his pride all the way down and begin rehearsing his return. Some of us, we've rehearsed our return, but because it doesn't sound like our pride is way too high. So in our rehearsing, we convince ourselves out of it. So we know we need to return in certain areas of our life, but we've rehearsed it and psyched ourselves out of actually returning. And so our epiphany remains just that, an epiphany. Acknowledging your mistakes mean that you actually have to voice it. I think one of the key parts of repentance that we overlook is the actual confession. We'll confess the sinner's prayer. We'll confess the prayer of salvation. We'll confess to come into Christ. But when you find yourself in the mud, repentance requires confession. You never actually broke ties with it by opening up your mouth and saying so. And so you try to make the sound of the redeemed, but all that comes out is oink, oink. Because see, this little piggy, he went to the market. And then this little piggy found himself having none, but this little piggy could never open up his mouth and cry wee, 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 and take himself home. It is time for us to actually open up our mouth and confess that we have made a mistake. He had to muster up the courage. Think about this. Think about how he left. This is not easy. He did not ask nicely. He did not leave on good terms. It took courage. What is God calling you out of that you don't have the courage to come out? 
What mistake are you holding on to that you refuse to actually admit that it was a mistake and just go home? Some of the most humiliating moments in my life and if you, are, if you are a leader, you feel called to leadership or anything like that, I can tell you right now, the number one thing you're going to deal with is pride. Because you need it to be a leader. But it will be your demise. It is humiliating to stand up and say, I did it wrong. It is humiliating to stand up and say, I thought I knew, but I had no idea. It is humiliating, the thought of it, the anguish he was in. Consider the possibility that what if he was not received on the other side? Some of you have decided to stay in the mud because you anticipate that it won't go well outside of the mud. And so you become comfortable in the mud because you feel like if I get out, what will happen to me? But as we do this confession, it is a component of our repentance. Pride comes before a fall. But we think of tripping and falling. But see, we've been in our high place for so long that it becomes comfortable. And so from his high place of pride, he had a different perspective. See, that's why sometimes you just need to stay in the house because the things that you think are out there, once you get out there, it looks nothing like what you got. I like to shop on the internet. Any given day, I have a box at the door. Why? Because from what I can see, it's a better deal. From what I can see, it's still pretty good quality. The problem is, sometimes when you get closer to it, when I actually open up the package, it looks nothing like it did on the internet. But we've been sitting in high places and our pride has caused us to make decisions that we know nothing about. To make decisions from a perspective that we weren't called to be in. Our pride is too high. We think we know what's going on. We're calling shots from a space that we do not have the authority to call the shots from. This is the place where you demand your inheritance and you demand it now. This is the place where you think you know better. This is the place where you don't take wise counsel. This is the place where nobody can tell you anything. This is the place where you are most delusional. Why? Because you are in yourself. And pride has caused you to make your decisions. Pride will make you keep secret what everybody else sees public. Pride makes you think you're hiding something well and you're not. But for some of us, we realize our pride was a little high. And so we came down just a little bit lower. And at this place, we realize, well, it is possible. I may have made a mistake. It didn't seem to work out, 
but I'm still blaming it on other people. So see, in this position, the prodigal says, I ran out of money and that probably was my fault, but it also could have been because he didn't give me enough. This place makes you think that you are lower than pride, but you still haven't humbled yourself. Why? Because you can still blame it on other people, what they did, what they said, what they did not do, and you still are not taking responsibility for your own actions. You're somewhere between a far country and going all the way home. And so he realized after the club and after the MTATM, he realized, well, maybe, just maybe I, I, maybe I should make myself get a little closer to home. This is the place where you realize I made a bad decision. I made a wrong turn. I said things I shouldn't have. I made commitments. I got in relationships. I did things that I shouldn't have. And I am at my lowest place. The problem is that there's still pride. Because when you come to yourself and you have the revelation of coming to yourself and you keep it to yourself, there's still pride. You still haven't gotten low enough, but because you're lower than where you were, you think that you've returned. You think that coming to yourself was enough, but God wants you to come all the way home. He wants to call you away from every single structure that you've ever leaned on uh, this cup last couple of weeks we commemorated the 9-11 situation and we thought about all of the tragedy but even when I remember watching it it wasn't the falling but it was the rubbish it was the ground zero it was the demolition the destruction of things and God has called us to completely kill every structure of pride in our lives and come to ourselves. but not just come to yourself but open your mouth and cry out to the father you can't come to yourself without crying out to the father you're still full of pride if you think you can fix it yourself if you think you can make things right but he is calling you to himself we've been stuck somewhere between a faraway country and home but home is where I get grounded home is where I'm at my lowest home is where he can help me home is where I'm not leaning on anything else except for what he made me home is where I realize that everything he made me is enough home is where I realize that I don't have to sit on anything I don't have to go up I don't have to desire anything because the way that he made me he created me in his image home is where I get affirmation home is where I am comfortable home is where I can rest God is calling the prodigals all the way 
home? What relationship are you in? What situation are you in? What have you come to yourself but not really come to yourself? Because you haven't cried out. Proverbs 22 and 4. It speaks of humility and the fear of God. And when it speaks of humility and the fear of God, they are in apposition with one another. Not opposition, but apposition with one another. That means that one produces the other. Humility and the fear of the Lord do not come as separate things. Humility comes and it produces a real fear of the Lord. God wants to train us in humility. He wants to train us in the place of humility. And even when we've had high places and we've had low places and we felt like we were further than what he's really taken us, he is training us to every area of our lives to get low enough to see it from the perspective that he wants us to see it at. Turn to Proverbs 22 and 4. I want to read about the humility and the fear of the Lord. And you all can come. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares, they're in the way of the perverse. But he who guards his soul will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We use that scripture against children. We use it as a threat. We use it as false hope for ourselves this time. You don't need to be trained in anything that comes to you naturally. But we feel that If it doesn't feel good, it rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like the way he said it. I didn't like the way they did it. We think that naturally it should feel a certain way. But when God talks about the training up of children, he is talking about going against your fleshly inclinations. The misplaced pride that you've had that swelling inside, it's time to subdue it. It's time to go against what your natural inclinations are and be humbled by God. That means letting go of the bitterness of what you felt you should have received. That means intentionally moving yourself in line one of the things that my elementary students do, they, they argue, they bicker, they fuss, they fight about who is in the front of the line. They could be the very next person. It doesn't matter. They're upset because they want to be in the front of the line. I highlight to them 
that the caboose is an important position. They don't want to be the caboose. They don't want to be in the middle. I can explain to them, we're all in alphabetical order today. They don't care, they want to be in the front. I can explain to them that if they stay in their place in line, I'll give them a bonus five points so we can hurry up and go inside. They don't care. They want to be in the front of the line. We've been that stubborn child. And no matter what God has for us, no matter what he said, no matter his reasoning of why he's placed you the way that he's placed you, we just want to be at the front of the line. We haven't found value in the low places. But the low place is where your rest is. You've been looking for the peace that surpasses all understanding. And we thought that our peace was in this high place. But the humbled heart, it remains content. It's not shaken, it's not moved by its selfish desires. But God is calling his little piggies home. Come on, you've been in the mud long enough. I don't care how much you fought for this decision to make. Don't be embarrassed. It's never too late to come home. You felt like you could be in the house. And then we say things like, home is where the heart is. And it's true. Because you may physically be there, but if your heart is not with him, you're there, but you're not there. If you would, just lift your hands with me today. God, we've saved this gospel for sinners and those outside of your doors. But I pray today, give us your gospel. The good news is that we have a savior. The good news is that no matter the sin, no matter the decisions, we have a savior who always calls us home, who calls us to his bosom. And so we repent today, God. We confess our sins one to another and on to you. Where we've been wrong, we admit that we have been wrong. Where we have been stubborn, we admit that we have been stubborn. We want our epiphany of where we are. And we are willing to cry out to you, not just to rehearse our return, but to make the return to you. We've said that your word doesn't work. We've said that your principles don't work. But we want to come home today in our hearts. Restore the hope in you and the plan that you have for our lives. We are those who don't want to live reckless in any area of our lives. So we say cleanse us, wash us, and make us low in your presence. Do it, God. Now just take a moment and just speak to him, just even personally. Let him bring it to your mind. Pray for revelation. Pray for revelation of where he wants to humble you. Pray for revelation of what he actually has for you.
And now we commit, oh God, not to just visit this place, but to live in the place of humility, to constantly allow you to shape us, mold us, and bring us revelation. No longer will we speak or act out of pride alone. And when we find ourselves too high, we will be humble enough. We will be honest enough. We will be integrous enough to simply admit it and come home.